and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? On top of the world, Justin. How about yourself? I am becoming exhausted. I think we made a declaration a few episodes ago that we were going to pump out the content, and Kirby, I think we have pumped out the content. Where's you out, doesn't it? It does. Uh, much like the overworked mechanics in IndyCar, you know, we've got to do it. <laughs> That's right. Did you hear that they had a test last week on Wednesday at Road America? They got their long-awaited week off after Indy, and what they do with it? They went and tested it. Tested, yeah. Curb, a uh, plethora of topics to get to. We've got uh, the upcoming races, Duel in Detroit, to uh, do our picks for, and maybe uh, go into some uh, degree of, uh, of conversation. Did you notice um, t- uh, Sergio Perez won a F1 race in Baku? Who's Sergio Perez? You know who Sergio Perez was. Nice try, uh, Curb. I did, I did see something about that, yeah. But, Curb, I know we're not here to talk about F1. And so, Somehow we always do. Yeah, but so, um, and we'll probably talk a bit more about them later, I think. We are here to talk about IndyCar racing. And I'd like to start out, if you don't mind, to kind of look backward to the 500 a little bit. Now, I know we had our post-500 show. You know, there's been a few things that happened with Mr. Castroneves since then that I think are kind of worthy of discussion. Um, first thing, I got to say this. I, this is an aside, but did you notice how quickly in the post-race interview Helio got out uh, Honda's name, that he was powered by Honda? I mean, consummate professional professional to the end. Experience pays off in many ways, Justin, not just winning races on the track. Yeah, that mention of the sponsor and supposedly a moment when you should just be so incredibly happy um, is, wow, that's a professionalism of, of a new level, I think. You probably had to get that out there before you forgot, since after all those years of driving for Chevy. He, probably was, <laughs> he was probably nervous. Sure he yeah, I might have made that mistake. Curb, it's also interesting. I mean, he won't be doing any more races uh, this year other than the six that he was originally signed up to do. And I think there's a lot of legitimate reasons for that, right? Um, sure. Finding a crew, sponsors, and so forth. You did mention uh, to me, and I think it is somewhat worthy of note, that the winner of uh, this year's 500 is going to be racing this weekend, but not an IndyCar race. No, he'll be racing with the good old boys. Uh uh, all the retirees on uh, Tony Stewart and Ray Evernham's All-Star circuit. They'll be in some dirt track in Connecticut this weekend. So uh, quite uh, quite a good turn of fortune for CBS and uh, the folks running that series and the fans in Stafford Springs, Connecticut, the reigning uh, Rolex 24 and 9500 champion coming to their track. It's an incredible opportunity for that uh, series which I, I'll confess, Curb, I'm a bit intrigued. I mean, I've, I've got, you know, this is harkens back to the IROC days. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. And uh, there's going to be some IndyCar drivers in it. And they'll be disadvantaged just like they were in IROC. But, you know, you're, you you got somebody to root for. Potentially entertaining race to watch on a, you know, summer Saturday night. But, you know, there, there were no drivers anticipated to be involved that were currently at the you know, at the pinnacle of their careers and, and, uh, winning his fourth, uh, 8,500 puts Helio close to the pinnacle of his career. So, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's at fault here. Nobody to blame. You can't point the finger at IndyCar for letting him go away or whatever, but, uh, might also give us some, at least early insight as to if CBS gets the IndyCar TV contract, Luke, we think they are, you know, what, what 
can we expect from their coverage going forward? Kind of a test session for everybody, right? Kerb, um, when I saw the, the the comments by Michael Shank about kind of you know the whole Elio situation where he's not really able to you know sign up for Detroit, for example, or some of the other IndyCar races because just not feasible for a lot of reasons. There was a little thing in there uh, that he kind of mentioned that I thought was really interesting, got my eyebrow uh, raised considerably. He kind of said, we really, we got a great relationship with Andretti. We'd really like to continue working with them. And the question is, after losing the 500 to him, um, is Andretti really eager to be working with him? I would have to think that Andretti still likes Shank's money. And uh, as long as Michael Shank wants to keep paying the bill, that Michael Andretti will keep having him back. Okay. That's a pretty cynical view. Um, <laughs> I'll accept it as an opinion. Follow the money, Jay. Follow the money. I know. I agree. and I, I, I just don't know how much, and <clears throat> I guess we won't know, but I mean, how much money is really involved here, right? I mean, how much, you know, Shanks, Shanks building a new shop, uh, getting bigger, you know, looking like it's going towards a two-car team full-time. It's, at what point do you say, okay, I'm, I'm no longer going to help these guys? you know, under any circumstances, because I'm competing with them. Well, I mean, unless they think that um, Shank's involvement or their involvement with Shank is is spreading them too thin and contributing to their difficulties, you know, that might be a different story. But otherwise, unless the series or somebody else, you know, starts getting upset that uh, Andretti's running a quasi six to eight car team at a time or whatever, um, you know, unless somebody else thinks that's a problem, then I would think it would continue. And Again, looking back a little bit, TV ratings, decent? For sure. Yeah. Best uh, best in many years. Best since uh, the 100th, right, in 2016. Probably going to help negotiations between NBC, CBS, and whoever else could potentially be involved. Not all bad for IndyCar there. The ratings for the 500 were the strongest, of course, at the end. And I think they uh, even picked up a little bit for Helio's celebration after the race was over, uh, based on you know social media kind of leading people there. What about you mentioned something to me earlier in the week about uh, Simona and uh, a little incident at the end. Do you care to elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, I was just reading up on um, Simona's race and how things ended up. And, and I had been surprised that she didn't get back in the race because from where we were sitting watching on the video boards, it didn't look like she had very serious damage, if damage at all. But come to find out, I guess they were working on getting her car back in the race when uh, – Hunter Ray lost his brakes entering the pits and and uh, kind of skated by out of control, not too far from where they were working on the car. And I said, they said, well, that's it. Let's just pack it up. <laughs> it's a no issue. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're we're done here. Let's let's pack it up and go in. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're we're parked in the wrong place. We're not we're not waiting for any more of these cars to come whistling through here. <laughs> Can't fault them, but uh, kind of an interesting little side story, I thought. Yeah, that is interesting. I. I had not seen that elsewhere. So that's, I've never heard that before. Still looking backwards. What do you think? Would you rather be Scott Dixon with six championships and one Indy 500 or Ilio with uh, four or 500s and zero championships? Uh, Dixon. Who, who will be remembered longer? Dixon or Elio? Oh, Elio without question. Um, not only do the 500 winners, but because of dancing with the stars. I mean, Elio certainly has the outgoing personality. But, yeah, I was going to that's the other thing. Then you got to add in the, the personalities, right? And, you know, come on. Dixon is, you know, very reserved and, uh, you know, 
by contrast, uh, Elio's Elio. Unfortunately, uh, in some ways, unfortunately in others, I guess, but you know, history remembers who wins the 500. They don't remember who wins the championships. I'm sure Elio's name, especially now that he's in the four-time winner club, will you know only grow in stature with time compared to Dixon's Yeah, but uh, you know, the, the compendium of work, if you will, of uh, Dixon, I mean, far outweighs Elio, um, in my view. I don't disagree, but um, I'm just saying that in the in the popular in the popular history, uh, for better or for worse, Haley was going to hold up. Yeah, uh, I agree. But you, fairly you, like, or unfairly, the, the, I believe the question to me was, you know, what would you prefer? And I prefer to actually have the more substantial body of work. Understand what you're saying? I don't disagree. Uh, but I guess I kind of rolled on from there to say, well, how do you think history will judge this? And I think uh, judge these guys. And I just think. Elio's name will hold up in history a lot better than, than Dixon's will. Deserve it or not, um, it's the way it'll be. However, I do believe uh, Dixon's wife will hold up better than Elio's. Well, I, it's a whole other subject there, and I <laughs> go into that off air. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, uh, moving on, Curb, as I'm sure you're eager to do. Do you, do you realize that after the 500... There are we are down to eight people being in contention for the um, the championship. Is that how you see it? Uh, I don't think ha- you'd have to be a moron to disagree with me on this. Ross, you could have a miraculous second half and still pull it out. Miraculous would be the word. So <laughs> let's just get down to it. I think the traditional cutoff is basically a hundred points, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's the generally accepted cutoff. That puts you at Graham Ray Hall in eighth place, number eight at the moment. He's 100 points behind um, Halau at the moment. Now, if you say, okay, well, let's stretch that a little bit, another five points uh, or another 10 points. Well, you can do that, but the two guys you're stretching to reach there are uh, Scotty M and Erickson. A little early for Scotty M to be in that consideration, and uh, I like Erickson, but I don't know he'll ever be in that consideration. So yeah, and and uh, then you go two more deeper. You got the the consistency kings, Takuma Sato and Will Power. Well, you'd like to think that Will Power has a lot of his uh, down uh, tough finishes out of the way, but uh, you never know. So in our reality, we are down to eight: Alex Palau, Scott Dixon, Pat O'Ward, Simon Pagano, Renus VK. Joseph Newgarden, Colton Herta, Graham Rahal. Now, I am not saying that those are going to be the top eight for the bounce of the season. Don't get me wrong here. I think some people will creep up into the top five, and some people will creep down uh, as the season goes on. I, I think one of those eight is going to win it for sure at this point. Curb of those eight, what are you thinking? Well, I'm, I'm not going to pick Dixon because that'd be boring, and I'm going to assume that Palau has some tough days ahead of him. He's had a pretty good run to start the season. I might say a ward, actually. Yeah. You know what? I would say the same thing. <laughs> I mean, he's he's got the confidence level, that's for sure. It's bizarre, but I, I'm thinking I'm saying the th- same thing. Uh, I mean, Newgarden would be a close second there for me. I think, you know, he can certainly get strong and creep back into this thing. Pagano, I, I think, is a lock to slide out of the top five, in my opinion. Right. Uh, Renus, kind of the same issues as Palau, in my view. He was pretty inconsistent last year, a little bit up and down so far this year, and uh, I would expect that would continue. Uh, so high points and low points the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, Gra- Graham's consistent, but he doesn't qualify well enough. Right. Hurt has been pretty inconsistent, too. 
real high highs and some real low lows. Yeah, I think you could say the Andretti team's been inconsistent in that way, well, too. That's true. You know, Palau's got a 36-point lead on Dixon in second. Or from Dixon to New Garden, so that'd be second place through sixth place. You got a 16, 28-point spread for five drivers. If you assume that Palau, you know, has really benefited from the second-place finish at Indy and the double points, has some, you know, just modest to mediocre results here over the rest of the season, like most drivers will, he should fall back into that pack, I would think, uh, heading into the home stretch. And uh, when we were talking about that earlier, I was looking at Nick Newgarden down there in sixth, and I just thought he might have too far to go. But uh, when you look at it again, you're right, he might, uh, he might be a strong second choice there. All right, one other question about Dixon, the 500. Everything I read and hear, everybody talks like, well, gee, if he hadn't had that bad break on the first yellow flag, he would he was a he was a given to win the race. Do you hear that a lot? Uh, no, but I'll accept it as as uh, as fact. Prohibitive favorite, prohibitive this, prohibitive that. Poor Scott Dixon, he couldn't win because of the yellow flag. And I even hear some some revisionist history of last year, making it sound like he lost on bad luck last year. A little bit annoying as. as as good as he is, as, uh, as uh, he does everything the right way, um, he doesn't need embellishment uh, to make him sound even better than he is. My reply to that would be, well, I don't think you can say that because as soon as he got shuffled to the back of the pack, he couldn't move forward. Okay, even when he wasn't trying to save fuel, you know, right. he, he he really struggled. So he, if 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 at some point during that race he got shuffled back four or five, six positions, which is, you know, with all the pit stops and different strategies, that's very possible. There's no saying he'd be able to climb back up in it, you know, based on what we saw of his car then. So I think that's dubious reasoning at best. Even last year, he didn't have any misfortune, but at the end, somebody else's car came on stronger, right? I mean, it just, you know, even on the pole by fractions of a mile per hour, right? I mean, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the days of Rick Mears where he's, you know, Miles ahead of everybody else. You you got a problem with Team Smug. I I, I, <laughs> I got to tell you, you really do. Well, this is, this is more of a problem with the the commentaries out there. But uh, Little Saint is going to be making an appearance at Detroit, if not the 500 winner. Look, I I don't dislike Santino. I think he adds something to the uh, atmosphere at the races. Good for the series to have him there. Good for Team Ray Hall. Uh, sounds like a a sponsor that's really enjoying getting involved and uh, increasing their involvement. So that's a positive thing too. Sponsor being Hyvee, um, which is clearly, you know, over the moon with what happened at the 500. And I should say the Ray Hall Letterman's activation, I guess. You know, they're a big Midwestern chain, I guess. And there's a lot of Midwestern races. So hopefully they'll keep uh, upping their ante a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Ray, uh, Ray Hall racing seems to gravitate towards those kind of hard, heavy Midwestern names. Uh, for sponsors and so forth, you know, Fifth Third Bank, uh, Steak and Shake, narrowed in on that. And, and I think it makes a ton of sense because, let's face it, that's where the majority of the uh, of the series is. Have you ever been in a high V? I never have. I, I had to read the articles to figure out what high V was. I didn't know what it was. But uh, apparently they have a big presence in the Midwest, just not in Indiana. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I've ever... I mean, I have to have seen one, driven past one at some point, but I, I don't remember it. No, me neither. I don't. Well, uh, see, but here here it is. It's working, but, right? But now because we know. I guarantee right. you, next time we drive past that, we will know what that is, and we'll remember we saw it. That's right. It's already working. Getting the word out. I mean, they, yeah. they supposedly were very pleased with how it went for them last season. I think they. I do think it's interesting, though, that uh, you know, just a couple of months ago, uh, Little Angel or Little Saint uh, Santino was uh, – 
going to focus this year on his lifelong dream of being a NASCAR driver like Tony Stewart. And, uh, <laughs> and now, uh, he seems to keep putting that off uh, every other week here for uh, more IndyCar opportunities. So uh, I don't fault him for anything he's doing. He's got to do what he's got to do to keep his career going. You find yourself in awkward positions at times, I guess. You know, I, yeah. I think I think what it really says is uh, Little Saint hasn't yet found any firm deal going forward. And so he's going to keep kind of plugging away till he does. Kerber, ready, uh, ready for the picks? Ready for uh, the little Detroit preview picks type of thing? I'm not ready, but uh, since you have the first pick, I'll uh, give me a couple of seconds to catch up. Well, I'm going to be very quick and to the point. Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon. When you look over the drivers, consistency there, it's pretty hard to get away from uh, Dixon. He seems to have speed there. I think Ganassi, you know, shock program seemed to work last time they raced there. By that logic, then, I guess I better take the lap since um, he should be running the same setups and um, – and I haven't done any research, so I'm going to just go follow your lead. Good point. What I don't like about Palau is that he did not do particularly well at uh, the other street course, St. Pete. This is true. And uh, they did not race here last year, so it'll be a uh, first time for him, which I guess. So that too, was late, too, late, too late for me to talk myself out of my pick. <laughs> a fairly <laughs> stupid pick, if, uh, <laughs> if, if I may be so bold. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so you have left me a wide open gap of which I am going to drive through with none other than Joseph Newgarden. There it is. I'll do Pagina. Following your lead. Interesting choice. I, I again, a, a not a pick I would pick. Uh, again, I, I predict this is the beginning as it was the last time he had a great May of the fade. Well, this time he gets to rest up. He didn't have to go on a nationwide junket, right? So <laughs> right, right. That's that going yeah. for yeah, I I, uh, I like Rossi at this track. Curve. He's all yours. Keeping with my unoriginal thinking, I'll go with Herta. You know, if we're basing things on how people did at St. Pete, uh, Herta ran away with it. And Pagenaud was third, it looks like. So I think that's a great Herta. point. I think uh, you know, I do I do like that uh, reasoning. I think for the gambling man, uh, I think any of those would be a good one. For the the odds aren't out yet, so we can't really comment to those. If you're looking for a guy to put some money on and he qualifies, well, I don't even think it matters because if if a yellow comes out, you know, the whole thing's going to get reshuffled anyways. But a guy who also is very good at that track, who will probably be fairly long on the odds, uh, Ryan Hunter-Ray. Yeah, he does usually perform well there. I think you're right. And I would expect the odds on him would be pretty long. So I can't, uh, can't fault you there. I think some of the smaller teams probably struggle a little bit more at Detroit. It is so bumpy and so forth, and they just don't have the the cars and the setups that uh, some of the bigger boys have, uh, damper systems and so forth. And and uh, so I think it's going to favor the bigger teams. Curb, uh, I think we're approaching the end. Uh, no Danica to talk about this week. Is she involved in the CBS broadcast on Saturday night with the I know SRX? She's gonna, I know she's going to be at some of them, but I don't know if she's going to be at that one. Let's say you teased some Formula One earlier, and you're not going to come through with any? Okay. I, I read where uh, the people that run Formula One were interested in scheduling around the Indy 500 in order to raise the, raise the tide that raises all boats, that is motor racing. Now, Bernie Ecclestone never would have thought that way. That's for sure. But – there, there are new American owners of this, right? Uh, Liberty, right? It actually right. has some involvement in IndyCar as well. 
I, I don't want to speak for you, Kerb, so I'm interested in your opinion. But um, for me, if it's true, it's actually uh, some fairly open-minded thinking, which is probably what is going to be required going into this uh, upcoming uh, generations of auto racing. What do you think? I think it was a feel-good weekend for everybody, and I think uh, whoever it was it was talking on behalf of Formula One was probably just uh, being gracious. I would imagine that you're getting a whole lot of thought being put into that. If you think about it, they would have to take a three-week gap in their series uh, in order to really make that happen. I don't think it isn't like the old days when Mario could uh, have somebody qualify his car while he raced over in Europe, then come back on race day and start in 33rd place. Oh, okay. Okay, but I think you're talking about like moving drivers back and forth. I don't think they're really talking about that curb. I think they're simply saying – uh, to not have their premier events on the same weekend, on the same day. Yeah, but they were talking about some of their premier drivers coming over here and trying the 500. Okay, well, and, I think uh, that's all. I agree with you. That's all lip service. But right. I, I think the concept of letting the 500 be a huge event and letting Monaco be a huge event on different weekends, raising the, the, the you know all boats of, of uh, racing, motor racing in general – I, I think that, I mean, to me, that was the main thrust of it, right? I don't know. I mean, I thought, I, I guess historically, I've always thought of, uh, you know, Sunday and Memorial Day weekend being kind of a, a festival of racing where you, the big race fan could watch Monaco in the morning and IndyCar in the mid-afternoon and and uh, NASCAR at night if they wanted to. Yeah. What kind of self-flagellating individual curb would uh, do that? Watch those three races. Um, well, I, you know, I wouldn't watch the NASCAR race. <laughs> I wouldn't watch 600 miles at Charlotte, but, um, but, you know, Monaco in the morning and, and, uh, roll out, roll from that, to, to the Indy 500. I always thought that was kind of a neat double. Um, well, but, I, I think if, if you're talking torture, the, the Monaco in the morning would be like the old fashioned rack, you know, where they lay you out and, and turn the crank. Right. Whereas IndyCar would probably be just a, uh, you know, a mild whipping, and then that World 600 or whatever they call it is just, you know, a car battery to the testicles. <laughs> In terms of yeah, torture. Yeah, no, sure. <laughs> I mean, I you know what I mean? Wow. What you're saying applies kind of the modern product, right? 15 or 20 years ago, Monaco was decent race. In addition to all the glitz and glamour, the modern technology in those cars has rendered that track, you know, pretty neutered. Yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. I, it's also interesting from the the standpoint, at least a little bit to me, if you, if you kind of buying into the rumor we talked about last week, which is that IndyCar is going to have a Netflix show as well, um, you know, kind of olive branching there a little bit would make some sense as well. But it mm. wouldn't be it wouldn't I don't think it would be to raise, you know, all boats. It, it, it still would be focused on raising their boat. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really do. Honestly, believe that that the challenge in front of the the motor racing industry at this point is interest in general by the younger generation, and and I there's there's a bit of truth to what he's saying about that curb that just you know getting people interested in auto racing in generals as important as you know your own series at this point. Their press machine, which would you know put IndyCar's press machine to shame would come over here and generate the stories and generate the interest level and generate, you know, raise the awareness level of their drivers coming here to compete at the 500. And 
lo and behold, even if one of them could win or, or compete for the win, really raise the profile, they got the PR machine to turn it into something. I understand what you're saying there, but IndyCar is going to benefit from that as well. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I don't think there's any hopeful about it. I mean, Fernando Alonso being in the 500 was a big deal. Yeah, no, you're right. It was. And um, the the concern that you and I would have is would IndyCar be smart to do anything with it? Uh, a whole nother, whole nother podcast, a whole nother day. Right. All right, Curb. Anything else you feel like you need to throw out there? Uh, no, I beat up on Team Smoke enough. So. Can I ask you a question? Uh, you sent Go me a note about uh, a question mark of daily being validated. What did you mean by that? He got a lot of positive you know, press, a lot of positive praise for leading the most laps in the race. I, he got a little bit more credit than he deserved, I guess. <laughs> I, he's a guy that you know. I would. I'm always rooting for to do well. It's been a little disappointing in that regard. You know, oh, it, yeah. he's not. He's not in a in a Renus Palau award conversation right now. I don't think he's quite arrived yet, as a lot of people made it out to be. Do you think his friendship with Hinchcliffe is adversely affecting his driving ability? Is he getting <laughs> tips from Hinch? Is that the problem? Well, hopefully he's listening more to Rossi than he is to Hinch. <laughs> Well, either way, I mean, his two best friends are not exactly killing it here. <laughs> right. I mentioned to you the other day, um, and we talked about Hinch briefly, and and I listened to his podcast last week, and he said, well, yeah, it went pretty much the way we expected. Uh, you know, we went into it not thinking we were very good, and uh, and we pretty much ran that way all day. I just I just couldn't believe my ears listening to him talk. Curb, uh, I think we're about done. What do you think? Good weekend of racing. Saturday, Sunday afternoons for IndyCar. Sunday, Saturday night for... Uh, Helio in the SRX series on CBS. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, it should be interesting. Good night, everybody. Sponsors? You got to do sponsors? South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. There you go. Thanks for your support. 